just sang the song that I pray every Sunday before I preach, Lord, I need you. I realize that in every area of my life that I'm desperately dependent on the Lord. <clears throat> when it's a Sunday morning that I'm preaching, it just heightens that sense of awareness, how desperately dependent I am on, on God because I know that it's not my righteousness. And I pray that we all can sing that, declare that, knowing that we have a dependable God. Moment of uh, transparency, full disclosure, I uh, feel a sense of, of nerves, and I'm oftentimes shaky and scared before I come up to preach. If you, I really don't. Anyway, when I come up, you may notice it, but if you didn't, you will now. You'll look now and see, is he doing that thing? But here we go. You know, I just always feel that when I come up, it's this sense of, oh. And in that moment, I just, Lord, I need you. And my prayer is like, Lord, if you don't show up, it's going to be a mess. And so I'm oftentimes on edge, like, Lord, are you going to do what only you can do? Because I don't want to get up here and be embarrassed and fall short. And I feel like it's helpful to share that because we can sing these songs and it, it just sounds good. But we really live in that. You know, and I feel like sometimes you may see me preach and I may exude some level of confidence, but I'm really desperately dependent. The confidence is that God's word is true. But I always feel like, Lord, don't let me be like Samson. Get up and shake myself and not realize that, oh, the spirit is not, is not here. So that's, that's a cry. Right, Lord, I need you. And I'm sharing this not because I want to seem humble or somebody come up to me and say thank you, but I really feel in this moment that we can't just skip by that reality. Lord, I need you. What's the spaces that you need them? I really got to stop preaching a sermonette before the sermon, but I mean, these songs that we sing, they just do something in me. And so I come up and I just always think to myself, Michael, just get up and say, you know, we're going to be in Exodus, but then we sing it. And I'm like, oh, I need them. And I just don't feel to skip by that and try and figure out the best transition. So I'm sitting in it for a moment. And you just got to sit in it with me for a moment, too. I, I'm encouraging myself and the Lord, and hopefully it encourages you as well. But I'm getting very much aware of my desperate dependence on God. I pray that we know that we need him. And the joy is that we have a God who makes himself available. So it's not, Lord, I need you, please. Lord, I need you, please. And he shows up. And does what only he can do. So may we find comfort in that on this morning. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, then you recall that we're in our series within the series titled Family Formation. And this is our last week. We're closing the series out. And it's been life-giving for me. It's been challenging for me, encouraging and convicting for the past three weeks. And this week has been no different. Uh, the word of God has been encouraging and cutting all at the same time. And I'm excited to dive into the word. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 23, looking at verses 10 through 19. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'll give a quick overview of where we've been and where we're going. Then we'll pray and we'll dive into the passage. Uh, when we opened up the series, we 
learn that we're walking through the rules that God gave the Israelites so that they might know what it means to be the people of God. And we saw in these rules that the people of God respect all people. We saw that the people of God are in reconciling relationships. Last week, we saw that the people of God reflect the character of God. This week, we're going to see that the people of God remain in relationship with their God. And as we look through the rules, we're going to see how God positions his people to be able to walk with him from now and for all eternity. Before we dive in, I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. Please pray for me and pray with me. Father, we come humbly before your throne of grace, fully aware that we need you, desperately dependent on you. If you don't move, it won't be done. If you don't move, we might leave here thinking we heard something nice, but we won't leave here with life-changing truth that impacts our lives. So, Lord, would you please do what only you can. Speak to us, speak through us, charge us, challenge us, encourage, exhort us. I pray that you would touch everybody in this room on this morning, that they might know that they are loved and that they are called to be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 23, starting at verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. When you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat. And its mother's milk. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we've seen in walking through the book of Exodus, the Lord rescued his people from Egypt. 
But God didn't merely rescue his people so that he can give them a reprieve from slavery. God rescued the Israelites with a desire to commune with his people. And he wanted to be in relationship and remain in relationship with the people that he rescued. And so what we see in the passage that was just read is that God gives his people a pathway to ensure that they might remain in right relationship with him. And we'll see two components that are essential for the children of Israel to remain in relationship with their redeemer. The Lord commands the people of Israel to celebrate. Verse 14 He says, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. In verse 17, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord. The Lord is commanding celebration. And he's not commanding celebration because he needs applause or because he wants attention. He's commanding this celebration for his people and for their heart. The Lord goes on to tell the people through Moses in verse 15 of chapter 23, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. This is the Passover feast. You might remember if you've been with us again for a little while, we've been walking through Exodus. So chapter 13 could seem like it was many months ago since we've been there. But when we walked through chapter 13, we unpacked it a little bit more. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. God required his people to continue this feast. And he tells the reason why this feast was important. And understanding the reason why this feast is important will help us to understand how the command to celebrate is essential for the children of Israel to remain in relationship with their creator. And so in Exodus 13, starting at verse 3, we see this command that God gave to the children of Israel to keep the feast of unleavened bread. And we'll see the reason why these feasts were so important in the life of the people of God. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. 
For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. The Lord tells the people through Moses to remember this day. This word remember means to recall in such a way as to impact your thoughts, your feelings, or your actions. So it's not remember like, oh, that was a good thing and now I'm moving on. No, it's to sit in it. Remember it to the point that you could almost taste it. Remember it in such a way that it now moves you. Say, you know what? I think I'm going to go get a steak tonight because I remember the last time I had that and I just want some more. You know, so remember it in such a way that it moves you to respond. And the Lord lets the people of God know that this feast, again, it's not just so that he can be applauded, but it's for their remembrance because it's going to help them to remain with him. And so the Lord says that when you do this feast, when you participate, when you practice what I'm telling you to do, it will be a sign on your hand or a memorial before your eyes. In other words, it'll be a memory aid. It's going to jog your memory of who I am and what I've done. And as a result of that, he says that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. And this phrase, be in your mouth, is not just that you're saying the word, but again, the word lets us know that from the abundance of the heart, the will, the mouth speaks. So the Lord is saying, if the word is on your mouth, then that means it's in your heart and you're desiring to do what God said do. So as in acting, remembering this feast, what God has done Now I have this memory aid that compels me, moves me to respond rightly to the Lord. So the Lord is calling his people to remember who he is and what he's done. And he says, do this three times a year. We see it here in Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Ingathering. The Lord is saying, after you've collected the harvest, after I have blessed you abundantly, bring some to me that you might remember who I am, and what I've done. I provided for you. Now, time won't allow me to flip over to Deuteronomy 8 because we have some other passages that I feel we need to unpack some, but I really do. Please, take this to heart. Jot it down. You have to go and read Deuteronomy 8 because when you understand how important God is saying, remember, and how this is to the life of the people of God, you got to see what the impacts of forgetting are. Right? Because the Lord lets us know that if you do not remember, then you're going to forget. And when you forget, you're going to think that you did that. You're going to think that you brought yourself out of Egypt. You're going to think that you brought that corn out of the ground. You're going to think that you did something in your own strength. And then you're going to think that you might be God. So I need you to remember. And by practicing, by celebrating who God is and what he's done, not only is it going to cause you to remember, but it's also going to be an opportunity to teach your children so that they might know, hey, we didn't get here because we figured it out, because we're all good. We got here because God's good and he's taking care of us. He brought us out of Egypt when we didn't have a clue and we were crying and complaining and like, Lord, what are we going to do? He remembered us. He remembered his promise and he came in on wings as an eagle and swooped us out. And so if you're looking at me and thinking, man, I really love my dad. He's just a solid guy and I want to be like him. I'm telling you now, the way that you be like me is to submit to the Lord because it's all him. It's not me. If you saw me before God, you wouldn't want to be anything like me. You're seeing me post God. You want to be like him, right? And so these practices were important for the children of Israel to remember who God is and what he's done. And this memory aid would compel them 
to respond rightly to the Lord. So the Lord tells his people, if you're going to remain with me, you have to remember. Remember who I am and what I've done. And I'm giving you these feasts to practice regularly so that you don't forget that I'm your God and you're my people. And we are in relationship. But that's not the only thing that God gives them as a requirement so that they might remain in relationship with him. The Lord also required his people to rest. See in verse 12, Exodus 23. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. This word translated rest, Shabbath, means to desist from work, to desist from labor. And the Lord is commanding his people to stop working. But this is not new news to the children of Israel. The Lord spoke this truth to his people himself. We saw that in Exodus chapter 20. So I'm going to go back. And refresh our memory a little bit. Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll jump over to verse 8. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then the Lord gives the Ten Commandments that the children of Israel to follow. And he's speaking to them personally. It was only after these Ten Commandments that the people of Israel said, hey, we don't ever need to hear from God directly. Moses, you be an intermediary because you let us know what he said because we feel like we're about to die hearing the thunder of God's voice. But before they got to that point, they heard this word directly from the mouth of God. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your female, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in 6 days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the 7th day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This word translated Sabbath is an intensive from the word Shabbath, to desist from work. And what intensifies the word that's translated Sabbath is that it's a required rest. See, everybody knows at some point you have to rest. Whether you like it or not, your body is going to let you know. You can keep going, but I'm shutting down. And you might find yourself in somebody's hospital room because you didn't want to take a rest. But you all know just as well as I do at some point. You need a nap. You have to rest. You can't keep going 24-7 as much as we like to try. But God is not just saying everybody has to rest. No, he's saying if you are my people, I'm requiring you to rest. It is a mandate. You must rest. And so this is where you get the word Sabbath from. It's a required rest from God. God is requiring his people to be refreshed. And so what we see here in Exodus 20, verse 8, and in Exodus 23, and God requiring this rest, is that we are emulating the heart of God. 
because God rested after working. And God didn't have to rest because he needed a nap. But he was resting to demonstrate to us so that we might see that rest is required, it's essential. Why? Well, what we see in the word is rest is a response of obedience. So if I'm going to rest, I'm going to have to do what God said. I'm going to have to go against in some way, shape, or form, even maybe some internal wiring that I feel to keep on running and then run a little bit harder. God requires rest. And because I'm in relationship with him, I'm his son or you're his daughter, then you're going to say, okay, Lord, because you required it and I know it's good for me, I'm going to do what you said. I am going to follow your example. I'm going to rest. So to experience the refreshing that God calls us to, that God desires of us, this required rest from God requires obedience from us. But not only does it require obedience, it also requires trust. We saw in Exodus 23 that the Lord didn't just call for the people to rest weekly. He also required rest for the land every seven years. Here we see in Leviticus 25, it unpacks a little bit more this command from God to his people requiring rest for the land. It says verse 1 through 7, Leviticus 25. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, The land shall keep a Sabbath, a required rest to the Lord. For six years, you shall sow your field. And for six years, you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest, or gather the grapes of your underdressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself, and for your male and female slaves or servants, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. So God is letting the people know that this is not an option. I'm not suggesting. If you feel like you've got enough food in your cupboard, then go ahead and take a break for a year. No, God says that this is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a required rest. It's a solemn rest. The word solemn rest in the Hebrew is actually one word that means observing the Sabbath. So God considers this an act of obedience. And then the Lord goes on to comfort and encourage the people because he knows that there's going to be a question that comes up. Jumping down to verse 20 of chapter 25 in Leviticus. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient For three years, when you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop 
arrives. It's going to require trust. What are we going to eat if we don't take care of the land? And God says, I've got you. I'm going to provide such an abundance that when you come out of that seventh year, you're still going to be eating from the old food while you're starting to gather in the new food. But if you don't trust them, what you going to do? I mean, I got, you know, this is not the harvest. This is just my family garden in the backyard, you know, just, just in case, you know, there's not enough food. Spoiler, the children of Israel didn't actually trust God with the rest, and they experienced some hardships because of that. But God is letting his people know, if you are going to remain in relationship with me, I'm requiring you to remember who I am and what I've done. And I'm requiring you to rest. In other words, you need to obey me and trust me. See, rest is a response. A response to a God who you know and love and trust will provide for your every need. And if the children of Israel would remember who God is and what he's done, that would compel them to respond rightly to him. And as a result of remembering who he is and what he's done, they would rest in God. And they would find their refreshing in him weekly. A refreshing for all people that are a part of the nation of Israel. From the servant and the slave to the wealthiest person in Egypt or in Israel. They would all be provided for. Refreshed. And then annually, on that seventh year, the Lord says, let the land rest because the poor would even be provided for. And the animals, see, God is so good, he's thinking of it all, and he's taking care of everybody, animals, people alike. But you got to trust him. And if you do this, it actually keeps you in a place where you and I will remain humble and not think that I can make it in this life without God. And the reality that we all probably are grabbing a hold of right now is that this truth is for us today. That if we are going to be a people who remain in relationship with our creator, that we too have to be a people who remember who God is and what he's done. And if you read Matthew through the Revelation, that's the entire New Testament. There's not one book or letter that you would read in the New Testament that's not reminding us of who God is and what he has done and who we are in him. You could just pick one, pick any book and start reading and you'll see who God is, what he has done and who we are in him. I pick Ephesians chapter 2. I'll start at verse 11. But before reading verse 11, the first 10 verses in chapter 2, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus that they were once a wretch undone but God. God was willing to hang on a tree and become a curse so that they would not have to be accursed. And that they are now reserved for God's purposes, to be in relationship with their creator. And then we pick up in verse 11 of Ephesians 2, this reminder, this sign, this memorial, so that the people don't forget who God is and what he's done and who they are in him. Therefore, remember 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Summary, he paid the price for your sins. You're welcome. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a great reminder for us all. We were once in slavery in Egypt, broken, considered worthless. But Jesus Christ was willing to come and enter into our mess. And the greater Moses comes and says, I am going to rescue you and redeem you from slavery to sin. And it's only because of his willingness to submit himself to death on a cross that we now have this right to the tree of life. Remember, you did absolutely nothing to deserve to exit out of your Egypt. It was strictly 100% the unadulterated love of God that entered into our mess and said, I love you, I see you, and I'm here for you. Now, before we get too far down the road and start thinking that somehow we are now holy in and of ourselves and forget what God has done for us, I need you to remember this. Not because I want you to feel bad or guilty, but because I don't want you to think that now on this side of the cross, you have to figure it out or earn it. The same way that you have been set free is the same way you're going to stay free in Christ and Christ alone. But somehow, for some reason, we forget this. And then we think that we have to perform. And then when we mess up, it's like we're not worthy anymore. Like the love of God is not sufficient. Like the blood of Jesus has been diluted. Been talking to a few of my brothers and sisters as we've been walking together this past year. And one of the things that I've been really encouraging 
people as I've been able to sit down with them one-on-one is that we really have to start to normalize temptation. We really have to start to normalize the the struggle that we're dealing with, right? Because all too often, the moment we're tempted, it's like, oh, man, and here I was. I thought I was saved. I'm still struggling with this. Well, I might as well just give up and give in because clearly I'm not saved. Pause. Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. So temptation is not the sign that you are still stuck in sin. The fact that you are aware that you're being tempted and that this is not good for you is an indicator that God is speaking to your heart. Because you and I both know before Jesus, I didn't consider that temptation or sin. I was just doing me, living my best life all by myself. But now that I've gotten saved, I'm actually realizing, you know, that's not helpful. That's not healthy. But maybe if I just, just a, just a little, I mean, not the whole thing. Man, but it's, mm, I just want to, nope, don't touch it, Michael. You know, you feel that pull, but, you, but why are you feeling the pull? Because you know that your heart is longing for God, but that's really, but no, I am going to walk away from the fleeting pleasures of sin, but only because I've tasted and seen something so much better. Right? And so when I remember that it wasn't my own doing that I was rescued from Egypt, but that God redeemed me, that Jesus rescued me, oh, see, that's why we need to remember. That's why the Feast of Unleavened Bread was so important. That's why these festivals were critical, because the children of Israel might think, oh, I got it from here, God, thank you. No, no, I need you to remember that you by yourself, a wretch undone. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, not by the perfection of Michael, not by his performance last week or this morning, but by the blood of Jesus. Doesn't that just bring some comfort to your soul on this morning? Right, Because the world would have us to think, Michael, until you nail it seamlessly, you got a question if you're saved. No, my name is written in the land book of life. And I know I just made a mess of that situation, and I am so sorry, but that situation does not define me. The blood of Jesus. That's what brought me out of my Egypt, and that's what's going to keep me and hold me until the day that the Lord calls me home. Sit in that today, people of God. Remember that. Never forget it. May we never get to the place where we think that it's now resting on my shoulders. Please, God, help us. Because if we get there, those are the things that cause us to feel broken down, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious. Because now I feel like I got to carry this load instead of saying, you know what, I can't. So I'm going to take it to the one whose yoke is easy whose burden is light. The Lord still calls us to be a people to remember. If we are going to remain in relationship with him, we are going to have to continue to remember who he is and what he's done and who we are in him. And the Lord also calls us to be a people who rest, who rest in him. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28 through 30, I assure you, 
I could go for an hour on this one line that I'm looking at right now, but I'm not. But there's a whole lot in here that just for me personally was a balm for my soul. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way that the Holy Spirit just impressed this on my heart this past week had me in every concordance I can find. I was thinking, Michael, are you studying to be a Greek scholar? Like, what are you doing? I just, I was looking up commas in the Greek. I just wanted to just absorb it all. I mean, it was so rich for me. So I'm going to give you just the, the nibble of the overflow that's overflowing out of that. If you need more, come talk to me after. But I was just sitting in this, and it just blessed me so much that I pray that if just even a hint of it, falls in this room on this morning. I know that it's going to change your life. This word come, it follows in the Greek by an imperative. So I love how the concordance defined it. It's come exclamation point. It says come hither, come now. It's forceful but not aggressive. I said come now. There's a sense of urgency. It's not come now, you know, if you, if you have some time, would you mind just give me a just, just five minutes? I did five minutes of your time. No, come now. Come now to me. Who? All who labor and are heavy laden. This word labor. Now, again, the Lord's calling his people to work, so he's not saying stop working. Anyone who's working, just stop. We're going to just go on a lifelong vacation. It's not heaven. You need to keep working. And we might have some work in heaven too. I haven't been there just yet. But this labor that the Lord is talking about is toiling tirelessly. Growing wearisome in your work, burning the candle from both ends kind of a work. So for all of those who are toiling tirelessly and heavy laden, this is weighted down. It's speaking whether it's physically or mentally weighted down. We would say I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. To you, to me, Jesus says come now. Not tomorrow, not in a few minutes, not when you feel like it. Come now. Come to me, all who are weary in work and all who are weighted down physically and or mentally. And I will give you rest. I will refresh your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This word learn. It's saying, be as I am. Be like so-and-so is how the concordance defined it. So the Lord is not just saying, learn from me and take a few notes and then go see if you feel like me. No, he's saying, follow my example. See where I lay. Come, walk with me. So when he's saying, learn from me, it's what we talked about last week. Copy Christ. He's saying, copy me. Learn from me. Well, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to copy? I am gentle and lowly in heart. This word gentle can also be translated meekness. It means exercising God's strength in his control. And this word lowly could be translated humble. It's one 
who is dependent on God and not on self. God-reliant, not self-reliant. So if I'm humble, I'm not depending on Michael. I'm depending on God. If I'm gentle, then I'm not looking to take the strength that has been given to me and do what I want to do with it, but I'm willing to take the strength that's been given to me and do what God wants me to do with it. And Jesus is saying that this is who I am in heart. It's not talking about the organ that's pumping in his chest. It means his will. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is my will is to obey and to be dependent on the Father. So if you are going to learn from me, you need to obey and be dependent, trust in the Father, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you have found yourself burning the midnight oil, spinning your wheels out, that you're overwhelmed, stressed, anxious, and you can't go another day, Jesus says, learn from me. Do like me. What did you do, Jesus? I obeyed and I was dependent. And this is not a dependent because I can't. I am deciding to be dependent. I'm positioning myself. God has given us all strength. And you can do with the strength that God has given you whatever you would like to. And what Jesus is saying, take the strength that God has given you and do what he would like for you to do with it. It's going to go so much better for you. If you would do that, you will find the rest that you need for your souls. And this rest then, we can't see this rest as an option. It's required because Jesus is saying, this is how I am. And so I'm telling you, this is how you are to be. What do you say to Jesus? Let me think about that for a little bit. Let me see if I want to be obedient and if I, if I really feel like being dependent. Because, you know, I, I really can make some things happen. But that's the reason why we find ourselves overwhelmed, weighted down, and weary with work is because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And Jesus is saying, no, don't do that. Trust and obey. Rest in God. And when you do that, be like Jesus. And you tell me, what do you have to do in your day? That's more important than the ministry that Jesus came to do. Exactly. And Jesus would find himself in desolate places. Doing what? Praying. Like Jesus, you know you're getting ready to go be with the Father in a little bit. We got to work. And see, the sad part is that worldly mentality has creeped into the body. And you'll hear people, you may have said it yourself. I'll rest when I get to heaven. Jesus says he wants you to rest now. He wants you to rest now. There's nothing that you have to do that's so important that you and I can't rest. Our desire to try and drive that way is not from God. I know that we can posture it to make it seem like, but I'm doing it for the Lord, but he didn't ask you to do that. He's calling you to rest, right? And I don't want to work tirelessly and find myself weary and weighted down and then get before God and say, but look at all I did. And he's going to say, I don't know you. You didn't do that for me. You did that for yourself. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He says they're doing that for themselves. They're praying. They're fasting. They're giving alms. And the Lord says, I see none of that. 
They've got their reward. They were doing it for the applause. When you do those things, do it in your quiet space. Do it undercover so that you're not seen by man. Right? Don't take in all that pride. Trust me and rest in me. There's nothing then in this world that we need to spin our wheels trying to earn. You've already got the greatest gift that you could ever receive in all of your life. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now go take a nap. That's what we should be doing. Right? But allow this to enter into our living rooms, to our secret spaces. Because this idea of remembering and resting seemingly becoming a lost art form. And it's not new to us. You could go back to Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews tells the people of God to not neglect the assembling of themselves, as has become the practice of some, but to encourage one another, especially as the day draws near, as Christ is getting ready to return. In other words, what he's saying is you all need to keep on gathering weekly to be encouraged, enriched, and built up so that you can be reminded. See, this is the space, not that I carved out, but that God in his infinite wisdom has carved out so that we can set a day aside, so that we can stop spinning our wheels and remember who he is, what he's done, and respond rightly to him. And then when we leave this place after that reminder, we can be refreshed and we can rest. Are you resting well? See, this is where I found myself getting a little diced up in the rib area and had to sit down for a moment and really reflect and think about what am I doing and why am I really doing it? What are you doing? And why are you really doing it? If Jesus tells you and I to come now, follow his example, obey and be dependent, why wouldn't we do that? In our culture, interwoven through the fabric of this nation is independence, right? You, you probably have heard the term before, as I have, you're a self-made man. You, sir, what'd you make in yourself that makes you a self-made anything? Just do an exercise with me one moment. Just take a deep breath. You all didn't take a deep breath because it should have sounded loud if you all did it at the same time. All right, one more time. It's a deep breath. Just see. Right. Did you create that oxygen? Where'd it come from? Did you take that deep breath wondering if we all breathe at the same time though, Michael? Like the oxygen levels, just no one was even concerned. <clears throat> Why not? Because he's good and he provides. So you're not even worried. Just, you just keep on doing that thing. You don't know what your heart's doing. It's just in there moving. You can study as much as you want to, but I bet you can't make it beat. Like, think hard, it'll beat. No, you can't do it. You and I are desperately dependent, but we're fighting with everything in us to try to be independent. I want to be able to live a life where I don't need anyone or anything. I want to be a self-made. You will die on the hill of self-made. You did not make yourself. You cannot keep yourself. So die to self and be reliant 
on the Lord. I wish I could spend 30 more minutes unpacking each point. But I'm going to close out with one. This idea of deciding to be dependent. Listen, people of God. If we are going to be a people that remain in relationship with God, we are going to have to choose to be dependent on God. You and God cannot tag team. It's not, hey, God, let's talk this out real quick. Oh, here are my thoughts. What are your thoughts? All right, now no, let's tweak that, and then we'll go. No, no. Lord, here I am. Whatever you want, I'm yours. Learn from Jesus, empty and humble, and die. Be dependent. What do you have to lose? I need you. Lord, I need you. Not a few days, every hour, every moment of every day. I need you. You're all I've got. So I'm not asking to take a risk and hope. No, God is commanding. Come and rest. Today is the day, people of God. Today is the day to stop spinning our wheels, stop being overwhelmed, weighted down, anxious with all the cares of the world, and say, Lord, I'm resting in you. I want to invite the praise team to come up. I want for us to prepare our hearts and minds to really go before God. And listen, unless you came here from the third heaven, I believe we all can pause and reflect and consider, is there anything that I am trying to do in my own strength? Am I trying to save the children? Am I trying to save the marriage? Am I trying to save the friendship? Am I trying to save the job? Am I trying to do these things in my own strength? Listen, I have two wayward children that if I could, everything in me, I would give up all of my life that they might come to Christ. But I cannot. And if I continue to try like I have, I'm only going to find myself with heart palpitations and shingles. So what I've learned is that we have a God who loves greater than I ever could. So all I have to do is be willing to lay it down and trust him with that and then continue to pray and live love. And if they should never come back, there's a God who loves greater, who knows better. Listen, I really try not to get so vulnerable because then I get all emotional because I'm, I'm feeling that in my soul. But I, what is it for you <clears throat> that we aren't willing to relinquish to God? It's like, Lord, here are the kids that you entrusted to me. And when we release that, you know what that frees us up to do? To trust him, to surrender, to obey him, to know that he's God. He's good, and he takes care of it all. So all I'm trying to do with the help of the Holy Spirit is really encourage you today to be reliant on the Lord so that you could remain in relationship with him. 
Stop striving to try and make that thing happen. He'll take care of it. You live love and watch the Lord do what only he can do. So let's go before the throne of grace. God, I've been overwhelmed, wearisome in my labor, but I'm coming now obedient and dependent, and I'm going to lay it down that I might experience the refreshing of my soul. I promise you there's not a sweeter moment, and that's going to free you up to remain in a spot that'll make you only want to get to heaven a little bit faster. He has it for us today, not just in the sweet by and by, but you and I have to be willing to come to leave the other things behind. Will you do that today? For the next couple of minutes, sit, kneel, stand, lay prostrate, you and Jesus. And I know that I say this every time I preach, and you know what, I'm going to keep saying it. Because I really believe that however long I may have preached, the life-changing moment is getting ready to happen right now. Right now. I believe that with everything in my soul. If you would come, your life would be changed. And that's not just for the non-believer. That's for the believer. Don't leave here overwhelmed and weary. Take it to the Lord. And I'll pray for us after we've had a few moments, you and Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, we acknowledge that we are desperate 
desperately dependent. We've attempted to toil tirelessly to try to make it happen. And we've only found ourselves overwhelmed, stressed out, filled with anxiety, depression, despair. We've learned that we cannot. Thank you for the reminder that you can. Thank you for the reminder of who Christ is, what he has done, and who we are in him. And that we no longer have to labor in our own strength. We no longer have to figure it out. We no longer have to make it happen. Trust and obey. Desperately dependent on a dependable God. So as hard as it may be to release the things that we have had a death grip on, we let it go. We come now to the throne of grace to find the rest, the refreshing for our soul. Lord, please. Please. Touch the people in this room. Please don't let us leave here the same way. Please let that mother, that father, that friend, that sister, that brother know how much you care. Remind them that you have not forgotten. You've always been present. That you're there walking with them. Ease the burden. Comfort the brokenhearted. Rescue and redeem. Please. No more burdens. No more weights. For your glory. For our growth. Jesus.